No, they've I'm got, okay. We're okay. They've we're got me somewhere go. else at three forty-five. Oh, so we have a little time, man. This is going to be great. Yeah. This so if you want to wait till you get like where you want to be, I'm super comfortable with that. I'm ready to go. As a matter of All fact, right. we're going. All yeah, right. I'm with you. Co-keepers, we have the good brother Matthew Frey uh, with us today. Matthew Frey with us today. And I tell you, he has a book that I can't put down and I've been trying to hide from my wife. <laughs> but Code Keepers, particularly the men Code Keepers, this is definitely a book you should get your hands on, particularly if you're in a committed relationship, hopefully a marriage, because we realize that family is the foundation of society. And we want to have strong families to have a strong society. So some of the code keepers are saying, hey, what's this have to do with empowerment? Stay tuned. Some others saying, what's this have to do with black empowerment? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right. Here Welcome to Get On Code, the fly oh. guy. The video didn't start. It's <laughs> Some things happen when you're, when you're driving. It was supposed to play. <laughs> All right. Welcome to okay. Get On Code. The Fly Guy Show, which is a series of melanated conversations focused on empowerment, health, wealth, and knowledge of self. People think in binary choices because they are conditioned to. And on the wall was a picture of a wolf and a lion. I think the wolf was the Democratic Party, the lion was the Republicans. But the drug trade and all these illegal stuff that uh, people do, that's still economics. It's just that they couldn't do it in a traditional system. We're talking about melanated wealth. So we can build wealth, but we just, for some reason, don't seem to be able to transfer it. You had a great experience. Fine. That means nothing. What were you told as a child about education? You had to be how many times better? Every impression without an expression becomes depression. All right, Code Keepers, once again, on this code today, we have Matthew Frey, author and relationship coach. And man, I'm telling you, like I said, I can't put the book down. You've given me a lot of great tidbits that I can follow to ensure that I have a strong, long lasting marriage. Um, how did we get to this book, man? How did you come to write this book? Well, my marriage ended almost nine years ago to the day at the time of this. Um, April 1st, 2013, my wife decided to move out took our four-year-old son. And I want to be careful. I don't want to paint a picture that she like kidnapped him and drove away. It wasn't like that. She told me we'd talk about it. I'd see him in a day or two. Um, but she drove away with my son and they, she never lived here again. Um, and so, you know, nine years later, like here we are. But um, back then, that was the worst thing that had ever happened to me. I mean, it was really awful to like see my family fall apart. And so I had to get to work on figuring out what happened. I, I couldn't explain it. If somebody would have said, hey, Matt, what happened? I would have said, my wife's hypersensitive. She accuses me of things that I don't feel like I'm doing that I certainly don't intend to do. You know, she says I don't care about her, but like she's the person I love more than anybody. She says I'm selfish, but I feel as if I've sacrificed more for her than anyone else. I don't have any crappy relationships in my life anywhere, but she like is you know, acting like I'm not like a good guy to be around. And I, I kind of blamed her. I kind of accused her of being like the problem in the relationship. And then I just went to work, like writing this stuff out and reading and talking and thinking about it. And I just feel over the next few years that 
I started to get the sense that I, I had a lot to contribute to the demise of my relationship. And I just think it's healthy to get responsible about, here's the premise of my work. I think a lot of good people don't intend to cause harm, but they cause harm anyway. Like they cause harm in their blind spots by accident. We do this in our romantic relationships and we do it in all walks of life, frankly. You don't have to try to hurt people to accidentally hurt people. And some people may not care about that pain that we cause. But I think if we want to value having trust on our relationships and not having breakups and divorces and broken families, I think we need to get really serious about caring about how other people experience us, whether we're trying to hurt them or not. So, I mean, that's the work. That's the difference between me a decade ago and me today. Wow. One of the things that I thought that was uh, really intriguing that you stated was relationships are destroyed by inequity in our shared domestic responsibilities. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I, um, I, it's the, in my coaching work today, which I've been doing for three or four years, it, it's one of the most often cited sources of conflict in relationships. One person, it's in male-female relationships, it's often the wife, often the mother, feels as if an unequal share of parenting, house cleaning, food gathering and preparation, you know, falls to them. And it's not that it's not that you're doing anything bad because you don't vacuum enough or because you don't wash enough dishes or because you don't want to clean the bathroom. That's it's not evil. It doesn't speak to ill character. But what it does is it, you know, can communicate that I don't value the amount that you contribute to this relationship, to this family. And uh, a lot of wives and mothers report feeling alone and unloved in those situations and probably husbands and fathers, too, on a case by case basis. Anyway, trust erodes when that happens, when somebody feels like someone else isn't contributing and they feel like they have an unfair share of the burden, the hardship, the trust erodes, and then you don't get to have a relationship anymore. Wow. Wow. One of the other things that you stated that I really like was if she feels like your mom, <laughs> she's not going to want to sleep with you. So, <laughs> and that's Right. That's another way I think to think about it is whenever I think the simplest way to say it is when you put your wife or your girlfriend in the situation that your mom was in or your grandmother was in with you growing up, anything that they did to care for you, laundry, feeding you, all of these things. And, and, and they recognize in their families, like, wow, I'm doing the same thing for my husband or my boyfriend that I'm doing for my children. I have the same relationship with my husband or my boyfriend that I have with my children, essentially. A healthy adult says, I'm no longer as sexually attracted to this person as I once was. And then it's, you know, I mean, intimacy can get destroyed and then people stop touching one another. And that can be a problem in relationships, like a big one. Uh, yeah. Another, a failure to consider a partner's emotional wants and needs when making decisions due to thoughtfulness or forgetfulness leads to divorce. Is, is that indicative of your story? And how long did it take you to get to that understanding? Um, that, that specific idea, this idea of consideration, a very long time. It, I think it's at the root of everyone's relationship failure. Um, that If they have relationship conflict, what I think the number one problem is is like essentially forgetfulness. It's we go through our lives and we're busy and we're doing stuff and we're probably not trying to hurt anybody. Most of the time, we're just trying to get food and get to work on time and 
not have like conflict with people. We just, right. Just let me do what I want to do. And I mostly want to be left alone. And that's how I think most people show up in the world. But while we're busy, like just being busy, we're not always paying attention to the way that someone else experiences us. And this happens societally and socially, politically, and really profound ways that I suspect you talk about on this show, like a lot. And, you know, you get a bunch of jerk offs that don't want to accept any responsibility for it. And I right. used to be one of those jerk offs that didn't want to accept any responsibility because I didn't think I was causing any harm because I'm not evil. And because I don't run around saying vile things or wanting to hurt anybody, I'm like, I'm not part of the problem. But that doesn't make me an ally. It just makes me somebody that's opted out of the process. And we have to bring that conversation, I think, to our romantic relationships the exact same way. In the same way, if we want to be a decent brother, sister, friend, neighbor, coworker, father, anybody, we have to care the, a little bit, a lot bit about <laughs> how what we do or don't do will roll downhill and affect someone else. And, and, and everybody gets to decide for themselves if they want to do this or not. I don't think like we're morally obligated to. I just think if we choose not to, our relationships will suffer across mm. the board. Right. And so it's like in my coaching work, I'm trying to have somebody say, can you wake up every single day and develop the mental habit of including your relationship partner? And again, this should apply to everybody we care about, but our relationship partner when we make decisions, because most of the guys I work with are never trying to hurt their wives or their girlfriends. They're not. The dishes by the sink, the laundry on the floor, the toilet seat being left up. Those are not deliberate attempts to cause harm. And it's so easy when she complains about it to get defensive because it's like, wait a minute, I'm a pretty decent guy. I don't do bad stuff. And I definitely didn't do any of this to try to hurt you. So maybe like relax about it. But it's, it's not accepting any responsibility for the experience they have when, you know, they walk into a room and they see a dish waiting for them or they see that. I just think the toilet seat one is like a really positive conversation. I had it recently with a client. He was <laughs> he was leaving it up. And his take is, it's so minor, she shouldn't complain to me about it. It's such a minor thing. I can't believe my wife's elevating it to a, to a marriage problem. And in my relationship, it was, I used to throw a pair of jeans on a piece of furniture in our bedroom, and I used to leave a drinking glass by the sink in the kitchen. And I thought it was ridiculous that she'd give me crap about it, because I'm not out there doing a bunch of bad stuff. I'm like, there's people that do awful things in their relationships, overtly harmful things. I don't do those. So I want to be like given credit for that. And that's not the problem. The, the wife that is upset about the toilet seat being up or down is not complaining that she has to put the toilet seat up or down. My wife was not complaining that she couldn't take the glass and put it in the dishwasher. Like that was not what her complaint was. The Ooh. complaint is I register so little in your brain. I am so invisible and small and inconsequential to you that even though you claim you're not trying to hurt me, I am frequently hurt by things that you do or don't do. Not because you're a jerk, but because you never even thought about it. And so the work is thinking about it. The work is like remembering to remember. And um, again, everybody gets to decide if that matters to their romantic partner or not. But in my experience, it, it's everything. Our, our, our capacity to accept responsibility for others experience us. And it's changed my life for the better. And hopefully not just in romantic relationships, but with everybody that I care about, which is frankly everybody. That's deep. And I love the empowerment piece there because you took a bad situation, something that was very tumultuous, 
and you turned it into a book, into a coaching business. Yeah. And now you're helping save marriages. Yeah, you know, I appreciate that. And I think if we're going to make it really personal for me, there's another way to think about empowerment. And it is when she left and I was confused about it I, I, and I couldn't explain why my relationship failed. I was scared of it happening again. I was so afraid that like, what if I get married again two years from now and then three or four or five years later, someone else leaves. And it, it was like, I'm just the victim of whatever this like new girl might do or not do. And that's how I thought about it. And what was very empowering was learning that my wife didn't leave because, you know, she was petty and hypersensitive. My wife left because for the better part of a decade, I communicated to her that the things she thought and the things she felt and the things that mattered to her, if they didn't matter to me, I wasn't going to change anything I was doing. And I certainly wasn't going to like say words that suggest that I really cared that she felt bad about something that I thought was really small and petty. And when somebody hurts and they come to you and they're like, will you please help me not hurt anymore? And you say, this isn't my problem. This is your responsibility. Trust goes away and they don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore. So once I learned how to accept responsibility for that and say, I get to influence the degree to which somebody trusts me, my choices decide whether they trust me or not. I gained power back and I didn't have to be afraid of suffering and, 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 and bad relationships because of other people's bad emotions or other people's bad feelings or opinions or whatever. Now it's on me. And, and I, I'm really confident I can do it. I'm really confident I won't poison my relationships anymore. Interesting and, and insightful. You also say that relationships require safety and trust in order to survive yeah, and yeah. thrive. Speak to that. Speak to Well, I learned in, I didn't learn this in high school psychology because I wasn't a great student. And I didn't pay that close of attention, but I learned about it later. And it turns out most adults remember this. From, from school, if they took any psychology classes, there was a guy named Abraham Maslow. And he shared this thing called the hierarchy of needs. And he says that people need things. And they're like the five levels of needs. And it's usually shown in a pyramid, which I had them put it in the book. And at the first thing we need is this basic needs. We need air, we need food, we need water, we need shelter. And if we don't have those things, we don't really care whether our favorite football team's winning. We don't really care about anything. We're just trying to get food, water, air, and shelter. But once we satisfy the basic needs that we have, we get to graduate to level two of the human needs pyramid. Level two is safety. If a lion is chasing us, or if like a gunman is breaking into our home, or if the financial markets crash and like we don't have any money or whatever, what we lose all our money in some other way, a fire takes all of our possessions. We don't feel safe anymore. And then like all we're trying to do is restore safety. And then we get to boom, graduate to level three. Level three of the pyramid is like connection with other people. It's like belonging. It's like dating your partner and family and friends and the, the stuff we care about with community and other people. Right, um, right. And so I think most relationships, particularly the guys, if I'm going to stereotype and I don't want to, but it's just true most of the time. Most of the time, guys are trying to connect with their female relationship partners on level three of the needs pyramid. They're trying to like, they want to go to dinner and movie or out to the club or like wherever. And she doesn't want to because, because the relationship doesn't feel safe anymore. Not that I'm in physical danger from this person, but that I don't trust that when something hurts me, 
I can come to them and say, hey, this thing hurts and it sucks for me. Will you please help me with it? And then afterward, he'll help her with it. That's not what happens. After she says that, usually if he's anything like I was, he says, you're wrong to think that, you're wrong to feel that, or regardless, I was not in the wrong to do whatever I did. I'm going to defend myself. When we always respond to people in those three ways, I call it the invalidation triple threat. When we always invalidate people, when they try to recruit us to help them, we lose their trust. It, it, again, it's not that he's a liar, he's a cheater, he's a threat to hurt me. It's I don't, I can't count on him to show up for me tomorrow, next month, next year. He's not an ally. He doesn't have my back. This doesn't feel like love. And when we lose that in a romantic partner, she, he, they, whoever it is, is going to go away. This isn't always men doing this. It's, it's, it's often men, but it's not always. I'll tell you and, one thing that I really liked about your book. Well, and I know you had a point you were about to make. We'll go back to that. I, thank um, you. Because <laughs> it sounded important. But I guess my favorite part, the part that my wife caught me reading, was how to <laughs> how to brew magic sex potions. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's legit. Did she say it was legitimate? Because um, I mean, she hasn't gotten this, to that part. Yeah, I mean, if she says it's crap, then I mean, write it off as nonsense. I the idea. What was funny to me that originated kind of as a blog post, but I I rewrote it and I changed a lot about it. But I, I was like looking up how people were finding my blog. And some guy was like, how to make a woman want sex. And, and very specifically, he had to use the words magic potion, like magic potion to make woman want sex. I think he was seriously turning to the internet to see if he could find like a love potion that would like make like some girl he liked, like want to sleep with him, which I found hilarious. <laughs> like that idea that somebody might actually seriously think that. And I don't know, but it was a good, it was like a funny blog topic regardless. So anyway, I just like turned it on its head and I said, we can make people want to sleep with us theoretically, if at least so long as we pass like the attractiveness test to them. And, and it's like, to me, here's the way to think about it here. Here are the ingredients that make people want to be with you intimately. And I, I just think it's a lot of stuff that when we were growing up, you know, like when I was in the locker room on the football team or whatever, None of us would have thought about these ideas as things that, you know, the girls might have found attractive. And right. and the thing is, they may not have. Um, what uh, magic sex potion and a marriage, those ingredients are not the same as when we were 19, 20, 21. They're not, they're different. The ingredients change. Yeah, right, yeah. right, 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 right. Because um, ingredient one is active <laughs> listening and understand the ideas they're sharing. That wasn't something I was thinking about. <laughs> I, I, I literally didn't do it until I was about 35 years old, like once. Wow. So, I mean, I'm not sure. I probably did. I probably did. But I, I not not when I disagreed with my wife, right? Not when I felt under attack by her. Right. I, I did not give her like space to to say, Matt, this thing's wrong. Please listen to me. Explain why. I never did that. It was awful. Got you. Got you. How's the response been? Uh, is is this your first? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, first and only. Um, if I'm really, really lucky, maybe I'll get to do it again someday. I don't know. So far, I think good. I, I, I don't have a frame of reference. As a first-time author, I don't right. know how to know how good or like bad this is. But you know, the reviews on Amazon, they're not that many. It's like 15 or something. 
but they're like really good. And I've gotten a lot of like private messages and stuff where people have heard something like this and then they'll like reach out on Instagram or via email or something like Matt really liked what you had to say. It really helped me like think about relationships in a different way. That's really positive feedback. All right. (laughs) Um, Your, your website, it has a lot of content on that. You've been working in this area for a while. You know, you've been, you went through it nine years ago. Yes, then sir. you became a relationship coach and you've been making sure that other men primarily don't go through this, but you've written a lot of great content. Um, Thank you. I mean, appreciate that. And that dovetails into what I wanted to say to you just like a few okay. minutes ago. Okay. I go wanted ahead. to defend men. I, I want to make it, I, it's so important to me that it doesn't sound like I'm demonizing the guys. I, I, I really want to like defend them. They, I don't think the average man in the average relationship is aware of the pain she feels because of the things he's doing or saying or not doing or not saying. So like, I'm not saying that these guys are bad, that they should feel ashamed, that they should feel guilty, that that they have bad character or that they're weak and they need to become strong or dumb and need to become smart. I don't think anything like that. I think just good, very good people in their blind spots accidentally harm their relationships because of things they've never really paid attention to before. And so in my work, it's about learning how to pay attention to a couple like tiny little things. And then I think when we do that and our wives and girlfriends or relationship partners, if, cause again, sometimes women have the blind spots in the relationship. <clears throat> um, I don't know, it's really important. It's really important that people feel cared about by us. And the only way to do that is for the math result of what we say and do for that to equal feelings of being loved and respected and cared for by, by me, if we're going to make it like individual. And that's, I've chosen as a 43 year old guy to, to, to accept responsibility moving forward. It doesn't matter if I'm trying to be a good guy. If you think something I did was out of line, well, in your experience, I wasn't a good guy. And if I crave your respect, I better figure that out. Like I better heal that. And I better say, dude, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm really sorry that like that happened and I'm going to be respectful and I'm going to do whatever I need to do or say whatever I need to say to make sure, you know, I'll never do that same thing again. Now that I know you didn't, that that wasn't good for you. I'll never do that again. And that's the work in our relationships too. It's it's just everybody we care about. And I, I, I encourage people to try to care about everybody at least this much. I love that message. Talk about your coaching again, man. So what's the dominant the dominant problem that a lot of the men have when they come to your coaching? And I then think, what's sorry. the second part is what's the outlier? There's always an outlier. And there's, there's a reason that a person have come to your coaching that was out of left field, you know? So tell us about those two polarities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the most common thing is sort of the condition I was just talking about. The absence of consideration to me is a habit, like a thoughtless, forgetful, mindless. You could almost say lazy, but that that's a bad connotation. It just means I haven't done the work of choosing to always think about what am I saying and what am I doing and how will she or whoever be impacted by what I'm doing and saying. I just think that's the work. But the low-hanging fruit, the thing that I hyper-focus on in coaching, in addition to that, is we have to have successful conversations about it. It's so critical because my wife used to come to me and she'd say, Matt, this thing happened and it felt bad. And I would try to sell her on the idea 
that what she thought and what she felt was wrong. If I disagreed with it, I, I, I got so hung up on not believing that she should think or feel whatever she thought or felt that I ended up always choosing what I thought and what I felt at the expense of her, no matter how much she was saying something was hurting her. Look, it doesn't make sense for you to feel hurt. So you shouldn't feel hurt. Instead of she feels hurt, I need to understand so that I can protect her from feeling hurt in the future. And that was the subtle difference that I didn't know how to do in the relationship. So I'm always working with guys on, can you habitually learn how to validate somebody even when you disagree with them? Because this isn't about whether you're a bad person. is isn't about right, wrong. It just means the math result of things you do sometimes hurt another person. And you don't have to care if you don't want to. But if you want to have a good relationship with them, I'm asking you to choose to care about at least that person and to practice validating their negative experiences they're having. The mm. outliers, the outliers are, are for me, significant traumas in the past, um, addiction issues, um, people who have suffered intense um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. I'm not a doctor. So I'm always trying to refer those people to like trauma experts and, and subject matter experts and, and something like, like traditional medicine, so to speak. I am not a doctor. I would never pretend to be one. I'm just a guy where if you're just a guy, you you might be able to like relate to the same experience I had where I'm like, I never I was never doing anything wrong. She just was like complaining about things I was doing. And now I reverse engineer it. She was she wasn't complaining about the small things. She was complaining because I never appeared to thoughtfully consider her when I was doing whatever I was doing. And then even worse, when she tried to say, hey, Matt, can we like fix this? Will you work with me to fix this? I always said you shouldn't think or feel that in the first place. And then I didn't take any responsibility. And, you know, 12 years of that, nine years we were married, she finally walked. And I get it now. It's nine years later. And I completely understand why she left. And um, I used to blame her. And now I blame me. And um, I don't know. I, I'm trying to learn from those mistakes and trying to help other people learn from my mistakes. I think that's the really strong empowerment message here is you used to blame her. Yeah. Now you blame me very much. Yeah. And I think, and I've learned after talking with people who are really focused on empowerment, making change, improving things that when you finally say, when things go right, it's my fault. When things go wrong, it's my fault. That it's always your fault. It's always your responsibility. Yes, you always have something that you could have done differently to give a different outcome. That that seems to be the overarching theme that I've gotten as I've been on this journey towards empowerment. And I want to say again, Code Keepers, this is how your marriage ends. Matthew Frey, a hopeful approach to saving relationships. Um, you know, we're focused on saving marriages. You know, and on the get on culture, we're focused on saving black marriages. Yes, and sir. I do say, I do say that this is a a tool that unless you're dealing with some of those outliers, code keepers, if you're dealing with some of the outliers he talked about, you do need to find some additional assistance. But along the way, code keeper, whatever your relationship is dealing with, find this book or a book like it and make the personal changes that are going to make sure that your relationship blossoms and blooms and has long lasting life. Like we all want them to. Um, Matthew, I know we just have a few more moments with you. Uh, give us some, some takeaways, some, something just to think about just the last word. 
I have uh, I I am so like hyper focused on those ideas that we were talking about because because I really believe here's I think the problem is they live they live in these invisible places. It it doesn't seem harmful to disagree with somebody. You should be allowed to. That's what I thought. And so, you know, when she would come to me and just say, hey, something's wrong, and I didn't agree with it, I would say so. And I wasn't being dishonest. And I thought it was crap that she would, like, be angry with me because I didn't agree with her. I was like, I'm an adult. I, you're not my mother. I'm, I'm allowed to disagree and have, like, a different perspective than you. And I was so hung up on, like, being right that I missed what was actually the problem in the relationship, which was pain. It's not about right. There's just at the, the, the metric of correctness will destroy trust in your relationship. Um, and the way that I like to talk about that is to think about a child who's afraid of a monster hiding under his or her bed. And if I'm the father in that situation, I can go up to that room and I can say, hey, there isn't a monster under the bed. Toughen up, stop crying, everything's fine. And I can love that kid and I can not want to hurt that kid. And I can be correct that there's no monster under the bed and I can leave. But what's the math result of like that interaction with that child um, in the dark, crying, still afraid. It doesn't matter that I was right. It doesn't matter that I love them. They don't feel loved. They feel abandoned to cry alone in the dark and still be afraid. And then they trust us less. And the next time something's wrong, they're going to have second thoughts about calling for dad about it. And the other way to show up for them is to go in that room and to hug that kid and say, I don't think there's a monster under the bed, but I know what it's like to be afraid. And I'm really sorry that you're afraid right now. And the most important thing that I want you to take away, son, from this moment is that you, when things feel bad, when life's hard, when you're having problems, you can call mom, you can call dad, and we're going to show up. And we might not be able to fix whatever's wrong. We might be able to like solve your problem for you, but you never have to feel like you're the only person like in it, that you're the only person battling this like hard thing. And I think we can apply that idea to our adult relationships for the people that we love. When they say something's wrong, like we let's not get hung up on whether the monster's there or not, whether they should be afraid, whether they should be sad, whether they should be crying. Let's just communicate. I might not be able to ever fix like whatever's wrong, but I really want to understand. I know what it's like to feel bad, whatever it is that you're experiencing. And I want you to trust me that I've got your back in the future when like harm comes to you. And, you know, it occurs to me coming off the Oscars the other night that like, that might be something that was in Will's mind um, that he was like, I'm going to have your back. <laughs> there it is that I'm going to have your back when something happens. I've been asked about that situation a lot today. I said the same thing both times was <laughs> I wouldn't have told the joke Chris told, and I wouldn't have hit somebody who told the joke. Um, and I like and respect both men very much. And I hate that we, I, I like that we got to have a human conversation about it, but I don't like that one or both men were being like dragged through the mud over it by a bunch of people that have probably done things just as awful in their lives. Code keepers. This is how your marriage ends a hopeful approach to saving relationships the good brother, Matthew Frey, who's been with us today on Get On Code. The code is empowerment. We hope that you found some empowerment in this. So our lesson, our message to you, our prayer for you is get on code. Get on code. Share the code. 
teach the code, become the code. The code is empowerment, and we love you for that. Peace. Matthew, thank you, brother, and good luck with this book. Thank hey, you. Code Keepers, make sure you pick up a copy. Peace.